I am Duncan MacLeod, born 400 years ago in the highlands of Scotland. I am immortal, and I am not alone. For centuries we have waited for the time of the gathering, when the stroke of a sword and the fall of a head will release the power of the quickening. In the end, there can be only one. Welcome into Let's Watch Highlander. This is Let's Watch Highlander Season 1, Episode 20, Avenging Angel. And to talk with you about it, as we do every week, I am Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis, and with me, Audie. How you doing, man? Doing good. 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 So, uh, let's see. We open with a, a man in what looks like an old churchyard or some sort of uh, underground kind of religious area. We, we find out later it's actually a Knights Templar kind of compound. Mm-hmm. And he's... He is on his knees in front of a giant cross asking for help from his father. He seems disturbed and frightened. And then we cut to him sitting in a bar, getting sauced and uh, yelling about his father. (laughs) And he's talking to a lady of the night about how he was a war hero. He was an SAS commando and all this. And she's not all that impressed. Uh, I think her quote was, you're my third war hero this week. (laughs) Yeah. Which he doesn't take so well. Uh, And he gets upset. Uh, we find out, we get confirmation that, yes, she is a lady of the night. Her pimp is right there. Um, he gets into a bar brawl with a bunch of people, slaps her. And we get confirmation of his skills. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he slaps her around a little bit and then ends up, she stabs him. And he staggers out of the bar and right past Duncan, who happens to be sitting in his car outside, uh, not too far away. Interestingly, yep. Duncan feels the presence of another immortal and then sees this man st- stagger by him with a knife sticking out of him, gets out of his car in the middle of the street and follows the man and follow, fo- keeps a distance, follows him, and the man dies. He grabs his wallet to, to look up information for him when the guy wakes back up and starts... He, he mistakes Duncan for the Archangel Gabriel, first of all. And we find out that his name is Alfred Cahill. Duncan tries to talk to him, try to explain some things, but Cahill has some kind of mental break um, and basically thinks that God has brought him back to life to be something. We're not really sure exactly what he thinks, but he's certainly not able to handle the shock of becoming an immortal and runs off into the night. Mm -hmm. Duncan is worried that Cahill could be dangerous, and sure enough, he is, because he goes on something of a rampage. He kills the prostitute and her driver, takes her little address book, and becomes something of a, um, it's kind of a street preacher sort of a a mentality. Uh, Basically, he was a sinner, and now he's going to cleanse the world of sinners, Mm -hmm. is kind of what he's going for. Duncan does come up to him on the street to try and talk sense into him, but Cahill just doesn't get it. He's he's too nope. far gone. Meanwhile, we get a little uh, subplot with Tessa reconnecting with an old friend of hers and her friend Elaine that she hasn't seen since they were teenagers. Well, they go to Elaine's apartment and let's see, right before that, a man is leaving Elaine's apartment. Elaine is also a prostitute. And... Nope. Cahill had gone to her apartment because he got the address out of that book 
killed the man that was there shortly before Duncan and Tessa show up. Interestingly, he didn't go after Elaine right away, which I have questions about, but we can talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, Duncan almost immediately suspects that Elaine might not be the interior decorator that she tells Tessa that she is based mm-hmm. on finding a rose that was on the dead man's body at the bottom of the stairs. So the rest of the episode is kind of Duncan Duncan dealing with Cahill and Tessa dealing with Elaine. Um, Tessa doesn't really approve of Elaine's lifestyle. She doesn't quite understand it at first. And Duncan is worried that Cahill is too dangerous. And we do end up with a, a fight at the end. Um, Duncan takes on Cahill and takes him out. He has uh, he has killed the pimp as well as uh, a couple of other people. And Duncan finally mm-hmm. just has to yeah. kill him because he's too dangerous to be left alive. He, he's just had too much of a psychotic break. Elaine ends up leaving Paris for her own safety. Um, and she does so without saying goodbye. And that, that's kind of the end of the episode. Well, I was struck down like Saul of Damascus. I have been reborn! Our special guest this week is Martin Kemp of Spandau Ballet as Alfred Cahill. <sighs> what can I say? He's, he's there. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't like him that much. I remembered him being better than he is in this. Yeah. It's a weird performance from a weird kind of character. Yes. Yes. And, and I and, almost feel like they did as best they could with the time they had to do this kind of thing. Yeah. And my initial thought, like I remembered it being, you know, odd, but kind of okay. Um, and then as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, okay, well maybe this is just, you know, early on in his career and he hadn't really done a whole lot. Now he has, 71 credits but a lot of those are early videos and Mm -hmm. this is somewhat early in his acting career but by this point he had been in a couple of films a tv movie and um several episodes of a show called uh growing rich so Mm -hmm. it wasn't like he was brand new to acting i don't it was just a it was a strange characterization like Playing a crazy character is kind of hard because you have to toe that line between cartoonish and not. Right. And he's supposed to be a really unhinged character too. I just, I felt like they didn't quite, he didn't quite nail it. I think I've seen him in some stuff since this and he's not a bad actor, but this was, this didn't just didn't work for me. I don't, I don't can't put my finger on exactly why. The, the more I think about it, the more I think this is one of those where I don't think it was written and directed well enough because we're introduced to the character drunk. Yeah. And then he gets killed and then he's supposed to be crazy, but he's not. Act- There's no difference between <laughs> when he was mortal and when he becomes immortal. And we're supposed to believe that becoming immortal pushed him over some edge. That's I don't true. see that edge because we don't know much about him beforehand. Like, if he was more of a calm guy, like if he was a calm, cool dude, took out the dudes or whatever, kind of, you know, not as um, boisterously as he did, mm-hmm. and then gets knifed by the girl. And then when he, you know, becomes immortal and then is more bombastic, I think that might have helped a little bit. But 
It's yeah. It's one of those things where like we're just not introduced to him because he's a newer mortal. We don't have a flashback of what he was like before of when he was calm. Most of his character is told to us by what Duncan looks up on the internet. Yeah. Um yeah, you're you're right. Like we don't know enough about him and I think with a uh, with better writing cuz I think Martin Kemp could pull it off. Mm-hmm. I think he has the chops, the acting chops to be able to do it even at this point in his career, but it's it's almost like he wasn't given enough uh direction to to know what to do, so he just sort of played it one note. I'm also right. not sure why they ADR'd a lot of his dialogue cuz you could really tell it was and yeah. that was jarring to me too. Like I understand some of the characters getting that, but it feels like it's very hit or miss as to which characters are going to get ADR and which aren't. Yeah. I so, wonder just how much of that is situational as to the actual production. Yeah. It's hard to the see. The more I watch the episodes, that's more of what it seems like. Cause there's some points where they, they leave, leave in the original and it's like, it works, but there's some echo and I'm like, mm, okay. But then there's, you know, other parts where they ADR the heck out of somebody talking and you're just like, okay, this yeah, was sometimes, this studio work. Yeah. And you sometimes wonder if it's even the same person doing the, the, uh, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I think too, like he had a weird kind of almost a perma grin going on, which I get sometimes you yeah. do that when you're, when you're crazy, when you're acting like a crazy person, but it mm-hmm. felt, I don't know. It felt weird. Um, yeah. it just, it just didn't feel he, he felt like there was, half a character thought up and they just sort of threw this guy out there. Yeah. And it was just half baked. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, I, I, I want to give Martin Kemp a lot of benefit of the doubt because it is early in his acting career, but he's also still a performer. So, mm-hmm. you know, and like I say, I've seen him in other things and he's been pretty good. This just sure. felt weird to me. Um, and I think there's something to be said about early nineties, not having a good grip on, mental health the way oh, we do now for sure. and the way we present it. So like, you know, the talking about him being crazy, it was just kind of, you know, just broad brush strokes of what that means and what it means for him and right all yeah. that. Again, there, there was just not much nuance to really tell a difference between pre and post immortal ship. Yeah. And you mentioned there being no flashback either, which um, there is no flashback at all in the episode to talk about. You could have put a flashback in this and had the flashback be of Cahill in his younger days and maybe show either the abusive father that they talk mm-hmm. about um, or something to his honorable discharge due to mental health issues. Yeah, it's, I it's, think that would have helped the most. Yeah, give us a little more background on him because it's one, like, we're going to get this. We're going to get this a lot where it's a character introduced and then killed in the same episode. That's just going mm-hmm. to happen with the nature of this show. Sure. But play it with a little more of a deft hand. Work a little mm-hmm. bit more into it. Find out ways to give us more characters so that we care about them when that happens. Because give us a reason why he's like this. You're right. He's cra- He acts crazy before he becomes an immortal, and then he had the break, and he becomes crazy afterwards. Like, But we don't ever see him not acting that way to have any kind of a baseline as to what as to how this is different. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there there are ways to do it. And I do think that 25 plus years on with how we understand mental illness more than we did, we still have a long way to go, but we understand it better now. Sure. 
and it's portrayed better in a lot of stuff that I think there would be mm-hmm. much better ways to do that. That's it's one of those things where we've talked a lot about certain stuff in this show that's aged really well and we're surprised by that mm-hmm. depiction that depiction in that character did not. Yeah, not so much. Not so much. Um, our other guest star was Sandra Nelson as Elaine, and uh, she's been in a few things. Um, she was she had a small role in Wolf of Wall Street, uh, NCIS, CSI, a lot of TV stuff. She mm-hmm. was interesting to me because she was she's really only in the episode as a character to give some sort of reason for Duncan and Cahill to cross paths. Is right. how it felt. And it's another case of a character who will never be spoken of again, will never see again. And I kind of want more backstory there. Like, how were her and Tessa friends? She's obviously very American, although so was mm-hmm. a pimp. So figure that one out, too. True. <laughs> um, but how did they meet when, you know, they were they went to art school together, it sounds like. And then they just lost touch. So why is Tessa so hellbent on on reconnecting with her? You know, what was right. their relationship beforehand kind mm-hmm. of stuff? Like, she felt like a half-baked character as well. And it would have been nice if she maybe came back later on and they could have fleshed some of that out. Yeah. But, you know, it was just, it felt like two, two characters in this, Cahill and, and Elaine, that weren't fully baked and either deserved more of the episode each or one of them to be gone. Like you could cut Elaine mm-hmm. out completely and figure out some way for Cahill to cross paths with Duncan and it not feel shoehorned. And that's, right. that's really Elaine felt very forced in this episode to, and almost it almost bordered on the like very special episode where we're going to, and I kept waiting for like, we're going to have this big yeah. moment of talking about prostitution and it never really went there either, which I'm fine with. Yeah. Like they didn't need to. But, but they tried to, like, it was really interesting that like introducing Elaine and uh, just the difference that McLeod and Tessa have in that, like Tessa's like super prudish about it, which was kind of surprising for Tessa being having seen how understanding she is of people in general throughout the series so far mm-hmm. to all of a sudden say prostitution, you're automatically bad. Part of that's yeah. probably again, as you know, early nineties television prostitution has to be bad. It's going to be bad. Yeah. Right that's, that's definitely a big part of it. Although she does soften really quickly once she starts talking to Elaine. So yeah. there, there is still some of that, like that felt like Tessa. Mm-hmm. Um, at first I was worried that it was going to be a pretty bad, uh, like bad, poorly written for her. It was better than I thought, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more, uh, shortly. But I just think as guest stars go, they've had better. There's been a couple that are worse. Um, Mm -hmm. Martin Kemp isn't the worst of the evil immortals or the bad guys that we've seen, but he's not in the top part either. So, you know, it, it, can be better, but I've seen worse. Right. Finding out you're immortal must be quite a shock to the mind. You have no idea. But what will it do to someone who's already insane? So we'll talk a little bit about Richie and Tessa here, or I should say Tessa, because Richie's not in the episode at all. In fact, like he has zero screen time. He's It's mentioned that he is in Amsterdam, and that's all we know. Mm-hmm. So, just randomly? Just, yeah. I don't know. I guess Stan Kirsch just couldn't be there that week. Um... 
Tessa, though, has an important role in the B-plot. And we sort of touched on it already, but I was concerned when the episode started, and especially her initial reactions to Elaine, Mm -hmm. that it was going to be a lot cringier and a lot worse, a lot more poorly written than it was. It got better. Yeah. Um, But I think my main issue with it is sort of the same issue that I had with the guest stars where it felt half baked and it didn't feel like any of it was earned because we haven't heard of this character who's supposed to be a friend of hers that she's super close with enough that she's like the second Elaine picks up the phone, Tessa's asking her when they can get together. Right. They haven't talked in what has to be at least 10 years. Right. Mm -hmm. Because Tessa's right around 30 years old and they were friends when they were teenagers. So you know, it just, yeah, it just felt like, like something that wasn't earned and we, we needed more of that. Like it had, if it had been somebody, if they planted the seeds early on, again, when you have a bunch of different writers in an early show, you haven't gotten your footing yet. It's kind of hard to do that. But mm-hmm. if there had been some sort of seeds planted of somebody that was a friend of hers that she was looking for or had, you know, reconnected with and was super excited to talk to when she got to Paris. Right. But yeah. Or just have them happen to run into each other before everything started. That would be not making yeah. uh, Tessa hunting for her, but a Tessa happy to meet her, um, you know, and then kind of, you know, you could play with the tension of Elaine, not necessarily wanting to tell Tessa everything. And then, you know, and then have them meet up and Duncan figures it out because, you know, he's detective Duncan. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I could have got that behind. Way. Like that would have been a better, way to introduce this character they just happen Mm. to run into each other somewhere in paris right that could happen however having said all that tessa has a pretty incredible moment in the in the episode um that i thought was very tessa and and actually pretty well written and that was cahill decides for reasons of plot Mm -hmm. that he is going to hunt down duncan and kill him right there's no no real reason given to that other than he just has decided that. And maybe that's supposed to Mm -hmm. be the whole, Oh, he's crazy thing. But he does this somehow finds out who Duncan, like they, they give no indication in how he got the information, but he finds out where Duncan lives and goes Mm -hmm. to the barge and walks in on Tessa and Tessa immediately figures out Cahill and how to play him. And it's actually a pretty impressive because we've talked a lot about Tessa being a real strong character. Mm-hmm. And this is further proof of the type of strength that she has because she reads Cahill almost immediately based on what Duncan has been telling her and kind of mm-hmm. uh, that sort of stuff and, and pushes just the right buttons to not only save her own skin, but sort of semi-protect Duncan at the same time. Yep. So I was I, I actually was pretty impressed with that because that could have again they could have made her the damsel in distress they didn't do that mm-hmm. it could have been even more ham fisted than it was and felt really silly but it didn't it didn't mm-hmm. feel silly to me at all yeah and this and when she was interacting with him like I've got a couple of notes of just the way she was reacting it's like oh Tessa smart mm-hmm. and then almost because he starts to get it but he's out of it enough that she's able to kind of turn around and, you know, talk in his world Yes, and talk him out of doing anything to her 
letting him know that she's on his side, quote unquote. Yep. Um, that she's been saved. Thank you, Lord. Blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. Cause there is that moment where you think that Cahill's just going to snap out of it and not buy her line, but mm-hmm. she, she manages to, to get him fully on board. And I think that the scene itself is fairly strong and I really liked it. But what, what really brought it home for me was then the next time we see Tessa, Mm -hmm. she's having a rough go reconciling what, where she had to go mentally to get there. And that's the type of thing that honestly, most of the time in a movie or a TV show, you don't see the aftermath of that kind of thing. You'll see a character that has the wherewithal to make those decisions Right. But you don't always get to see the fallout of that. And that doing that is not easy. Mm-hmm. Even if you're acting as the character is acting for this other character, that's still you've got to go to a dark place to to be able right. to match that darkness. So to see yeah. that fallout and to see her having difficulty with it and Duncan there for her was what really brought the whole thing home for me and really, mm-hmm. really made it good. Yeah. That was very well done and very well acted. Yes. Yep. I, I totally believable for me from, from mm-hmm. Alexander Vander Newt. So kudos to her and the writing for that part of it makes yep. helps make up for the really poorly written first, like third to half of the episode for Tessa, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She had a rough couple of innings at the beginning, but she came back and came back swinging. There you go. I know you, you're the angel Gabriel. Duncan McLeod. So one new thing that I want to talk about is the stunt work and the fight, especially at the end. Um, and this one was actually kind of cool. I liked the location of it, this sort of underground Templar Knights uh, thing. Mm-hmm. It just had a cool, very Highlander-y feel to it. Yeah, especially for a, a super new immortal who has no background in history, mm-hmm. but who has studied, apparently, history. Right. Um, I do wish we had more kind of Templar talk earlier in the episode to tie it more and just make it feel like a whole thing. But still, it was close enough. And since he was there at the beginning of the show, I was like, okay, I can kind of forgive that. But um, yeah, it was neat. It it wasn't well established that that was anything Templar related at the beginning, except mm-hmm. for the one shot of a plaque with the name on it that he sees when right. he wakes up. Outside of that, like if you're not paying attention to that, you, you have no idea why he's there. But I do like the right. idea that that's he feels safe there and that's sort of his home. And I love the um, – it's Paris, so kind of that catacomby-looking underground thing and you've got a whole bunch mm-hmm. of Templar iconography around. And then when Duncan finally is like, all right, this guy's got to – I've got to put him down. Like the police can't do anything about it and he's just going to go on a rampage if I don't. Right. Okay. So he goes after him and he he realizes through the conversation with Elaine because Cahill mentioned that name, that was enough for Duncan to remember. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then Duncan goes after him. I thought it was a little silly that he put on the Templar uniform with the chain mail yeah. uh, thing. That, and again, that's why I'm like, if he had been obsessing about the Templars early on mm-hmm. sooner, then I'd probably buy it a little bit more. Yeah. But still, it's it's kind of weird that he's wearing the Templar getup. I mean, that's yeah. kind of weird. And maybe if he had had the full getup and maybe just had, 
you know, part of it, not all the chain mail, but just the, yeah, you know, just puts the tunic on or something. And some right. of that I'm sure is them trying to kind of really hammer home the whole psychotic break. But yeah, probably again, not, not deftly handled. So right. it just kind of looks a little bit silly. I do, however, like the choreography of the fight and the fact that mm-hmm. Cahill, sure. Cahill being sort of an SAS operative, well-trained, right. But mm-hmm. not, but a new immortal, so he doesn't have a signature weapon. So he grabbed a mace, right. an axe, he had a sword at mm-hmm. one point. That's some kind of cool shorthand for like this guy's just good at fighting. So right. that's sort of the feeling yeah. that I got from that is like Duncan. Duncan beats him, but it's not going to be easy. And I liked the fact that he's just grabbing whatever's nearby because that sort mm-hmm. of fits with that character. So right. Um, and then you know we get uh. Anytime you're dealing with so Highlander on TV is fun, but it's also kind of silly because they can't die without being beheaded. But you're not going to see decapitations on network television, right? So it's very often you just get the swipe of a sword and then a a carefully crafted um, image of somebody with their head tucked away, right? Uh, but it worked, and he did it. I love the fact that he got him in a well. Yeah. And then cut his head off as he's crawling out of the well. Mm-hmm. That kind of cracked me up. So, but overall, like overall, it's a pretty solid fight. Mm-hmm. Which is good because there was some fighting earlier in the episode that was terrible. Ooh, yeah, I made a note of like, well, when he's fighting the, um, the pimps goons who were trying to go after Cahill, oh. that was like Power Rangers level fighting. Yeah. The stuff on the street, like, yeah, on the street and the steps and stuff. That was, that was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I have a. Feeling, they were trying, but it was just like, whoosh, react. Yeah, I have a feeling some of that. It looked like it was kind of a rainy day when they shot, mm-hmm. and they're not. You know, Duncan's not exactly wearing athletic shoes, so right. I have a feeling at least some of that was kind of situational. But you're right. That was, that was your your very like. Saturday afternoon action film uh, level yeah. stuff. It just wasn't wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, they made up for it they the made... final fight. Yeah, they really did. They were a fanatic order, sworn to protect pilgrims on the way to the Holy Land. They don't sound like such bad guys to me. They used their faith as an excuse to kill and plunder across three continents. So for me, this one's kind of an up and uh, a bit of a step down from our previous episode and I just I wanted more out of it and I remembered it being a better episode than what I just watched Mm -hmm. I think Martin Kemp feels either over his head or just not given enough to do to create a good performance uh, which is unfortunate and also I'm sorry but if you have a rock star in your uh, or a musician of some kind in your episode there should be something you know, either give them a song or I don't know something like I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just me, but we didn't do it with. Um, although <sighs> Roland Gift was just so charismatic as Xavier St. Cloud, so I guess mm-hmm. he kind of gets away with that. I don't know. Well, I just I watched next week's episode. There's mm. some song in there. Mm, okay, but yeah, I just felt like there was something missing with Martin Kemp, um, and I'm not sure exactly. I can't. I just can't put my finger on what it was, but it could have been better. And yeah. uh, I also wasn't a big fan of the kind of B plot with Elaine 
not so much the subject matter that didn't bother me. It's just, again, the way it was handled. It just wasn't. Yeah. It was below the standard that we've had set for a few episodes here for the most part. Right. Like we've been, it's really, the season has trended up towards the end and this is kind of a little dip in that trend. Mm-hmm. Again, like I said earlier, it feels like they were making Tessa out to be kind of a prude. And I'm like, have you watched the rest of the series and seen the way <laughs> Tessa deals with people? Like, yeah. I think she would. I think they could have handled it better with "I don't approve of prostitution," but I'm not going to act like, you know, super smart, super smarmy about it. Yeah. At first, and then, you know, Duncan's just like, well, man, it's been going on for a long time. I'm right. Like, Whatever. <laughs> you know. Plus, um, just the way they introduced Elaine was very forced and not mm-hmm. earned, and that that always yeah. gets to me too. Because it was really just there to bridge the gap between our two immortal characters. Right. You know, and there's there's ways that you could do that better than what they did. Um, sure. It was very strange to me how Duncan felt an immortal's presence before Cahill died for the first time. And I do want to touch on that because, again, yeah. this is season two one. Things like that, I wonder. Yeah, well, th- this is season one, so they're still figuring out their mythos. They're still, right. you know, they're making it up as they go along. But this happens to be an episode where you have to question everything up until this point because he's not immortal yet. I understand right. if he if Duncan had been driving by when he woke up and he felt that presence. That mm-hmm. fits and that's consistent, but this wasn't consistent right. with that. So Yeah, unless there's something just with the act of dying somehow sets it off too. But I suppose. I suppose. You said I, you had some thoughts on that? Kinda get it get it under the radar. The other question I had is why is the Knights Templars grounds not holy ground? That's a good point. Cause they were definitely a holy like, order. Yeah. At I least in name and that. everything. I was like, how are the, y- y'all just kind of hand wave that on this one i mean maybe it's like this isn't an actual templar's place but like a museum kind of thing just to show it off that's the only way i could think of that you could really get away with but they didn't establish anything like that any any sort of way like they basically say this is specifically a knight's templar place like that's how duncan finds them and not only that but like they have established at this point in the series that it's not just christian religion holy ground Mm-hmm. But, you know, because he uses the Native American holy ground uh, right. in the first episode. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't even think of that. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. that really bothered me. So, <laughs> um, so that fight at the end, I'm like, okay. Hmm. Well, that changes the whole episode. <laughs> changes <laughs> a lot like... of stuff. Yeah, because Duncan should know better, too. Like, you, you would think at least Duncan, and maybe if they hadn't, written Richie out like if Richie was there he could have mm-hmm. said something to him even because Richie would right. know or be questioning things I don't know but you would think sure. like Duncan would at least mention like well Knights Templar might be holy people or a, a holy order of knights but this isn't an actual um thing yeah, something, something like that, like that would have helped um and I, I'm guessing that's just the writers not thinking of the Knights Templar is that much of a holy that, group or yeah. whatever somehow yeah, I mean, really, um, that's what it boils down to. Is it was just the writing. Same, same thing with the the way Duncan senses him. The same, like this was just not mm-hmm. a well written episode. Let's be honest. Right. Yeah. So, 
for those of you listening, this is one you can definitely skip and not yeah. miss anything in this series. Not going to, not going to hurt you at all. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I like at best a C plus for me. Um, yeah, it's a passing grade, but oh, man, it's mm-hmm. just been better. And, and really what helps it is the choreography is pretty good. And that moment or those couple of moments with Tessa, um, mm-hmm. that aren't Elaine related are really well done yeah. in this, but you got, I'd no- say, there's a couple interactions with Duncan and Elaine where it's like talking about how you should handle your life and doing what you want to and really taking a hold of it. And, you know, just, you know, Duncan the wise giving his yeah. life pep talk. Yeah. Too it's, bad. You're right. You're right. He, and I mean, that's Duncan, you know, and he's seen mm-hmm. so much and been around for long enough that it's not going to bother him. But, but that's a speck of goodness in the rest of this episode. That's not so good. Yeah, really. And, you know, not having Richie or Darius in the episode hurts too. Because Darius has been yeah. in at least a scene in most of the mo- the recent episodes, so you mm-hmm. lose you lose two of your better, more um, more levity driven characters at this point too, Richie and Darius. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, this one could be better. You're you're right. You can skip this one. You're not going to miss a thing. Right now, next week is uh, Eye of the Beholder, mm-hmm. and. All I can tell you about that one is that the special guest in it's pretty good. I will mm-hmm. say that. So come on back next week for Eye of the Beholder, which is uh, episode 20. We're just about to wrap up season one. So mm-hmm. we're going to start really getting to the good stuff. Uh, but until yep. next week in Eye of the Beholder, remember that there can be only one less than 100 episodes. There we go. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>